Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. It is the 15th. Let me see if I can go and find our um, jokes for today. Here we go. How do you make a, a small fortune in Wall Street? <laughs> this is our joke when we had our airplane business. How do you make a, a small fortune in the airplane business? Start with a large one. Because when you're trying to sell airplanes, that's usually what happens. Or boats. How does the man in the moon get his hair cut? The answer? Eclipse it. Yeah, pretty sharp, pretty sharp. How about we go out to this one? Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. Okay. Well, we can now turn over to the Word. Let's look over into Exodus. This is 27 and 28 is all we have for today. Interestingly enough, that would be more, but that's what's on the calendar. So, let's look at it. Exodus 27, the bronze altar. And you shall make... The altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make its pails for removing the ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. You shall make for it a grating of network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it beneath under the ledge of the altar so that the net will reach halfway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the rings so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with planks as it was shown to you on the mountain, so they shall make it. You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side there shall be hangings for the court of twisted linen 100 cubits long and one on one side. And its pillars shall be 20, and their 20 sockets of bronze, and the hooks of the pillars, and their bands shall be of silver. Likewise, on the north side, its length shall be hanging on 100 cubits long, and its 20 pillars with 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. For the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits, with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets the width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court there shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be finished with silver bands and the hooks of the silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court 
should be 100 cubits, the width 50 cubits, the height 5 cubits of fine twisted linen and their sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in its service, all of its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make the lamp burn continually. In the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel. Chapter 28. Then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithmar, Aaron's sons. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister as priest to me. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece for an ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother and his sons, that he may minister as a priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. They shall also make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material, fine twisted linen, the work of a skillful workman. They shall have two shoulder pieces joined at its two ends, that it may be joined. The skillful woven band which is on it shall be like its workmen of the same material of gold and blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone according to their birth. As a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in a filigree setting of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial to the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall make filigree settings of gold and two chains of pure gold. And you shall make them of twisted cordage work, and you shall put the cordage chains on a filigree setting. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment, a work of a skillful workman. Like the work of an ephod, you shall make it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet material, fine twisted linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and folded double, a span and in length and a span in width, and you shall mount it on four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row, turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, janith, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. 
You shall make on the breastpiece chains of twisted cordage, work of pure gold. You shall make on the breastpiece of two rings of gold, and shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the two cords of gold on the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. You shall make the two rings of the golds and shall place them on the two ends of the breastpiece on the edge of it, which is towards the inner side of the ephod. You shall make the two rings of gold and put them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod and on the front of it close to the place where it is joined above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall bind the breastpiece and its rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue cord so that it will be on the skillfully woven band on the ephod and that the breastpiece will not come loose from the ephod. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. You shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord, and Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. You shall make the robe of the ephod of blue. There shall be an opening at its top and middle of it. Around the opening there should be a binding of woven wool, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will be, not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, and all around the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord, so that he will not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a seal, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on a blue cord and shall be on the turban. And it shall be at the front of the turban. And it shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. And you shall weave the tunic of a checkered work of fine linen, and shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash, the work of a weaver. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the loins even to their thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they enter the tent of meeting and when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and to his descendants after him. Well, there is obviously nothing but intricate detail in these chapters. And for that reason, 
you very rarely hear this preached on in a church or a much brought up in a pa- in a pastor's Sunday morning uh, teaching, unless they are pastors that really have a passion for studying the word and typology and modeling, because in these things we see so much representation of God's holiness and his glory, and there's so much here modeling for the believer. I actually was, was just touched reading it, because right in the middle of reading it, it occurred to me, just Don, just, I don't know, like little flash revelation, that um, everything that they were being adorned with on the outside and all of the beauty and all the glory and all the holiness that God was applying to these priests is what is put on us on the inside because we are a holy nation. We are a family of priests. And Aaron and his sons were to be anointed and they were to put the breastplate on with the names of the tribes of Israel. And, and you see this repeated thing in the Urman Thummels be to placed close to to their heart. They were the priests to represent the people to God. And God wanted them to know that he held them close to his heart, that he cared about them. And we see in this, it is to be a, a lesson for us and a, and a teaching to us of how we are, that we as the priests unto the Lord that he robes, he, he robes us with his righteousness. He, he comes to us, and of course, we haven't even seen yet the anointing of Aaron, where he pour, pours the oil over his head and, and runs down his beard. This is the representation of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, but it, the Holy Spirit comes in us and is the one that makes us clean. And all of these things that we see, gold is that pure, pure gold, has to be the purity of it that reflects the glory of God and his beauty and his beautiful. And the, <clears throat> of course, the scarlet representing his blood, blue. We have so many, I haven't even gone back and looked at all of the typologies that I, I studied when we went through this. You have these royalty and, and you have these colors which represent, bronze is always a representation of, of God's um, judging sin. And so that we were that there was all of these elements in around the altar, uh, and it was showing how God had to judge sin so that he could purify the people and let them come into his presence. And we have the Lord, you know, burning away the dross in our own life, and uh, our sin is judged, but we, we come into his, as a holy people and all of the beauty that was placed on the priest on the outside is how God sees us on the inside. We find out in the New Testament we're robed with the, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We, in a sense, have his robes placed on us, not just the high priest, but the robes of, of the Son of God himself in a metaphorical sense that we take on his nature we take on his righteousness because his spirit now lives in us and so when we read through these things we are to see the historical setting and the value of it we're to understand that no man can come before god unless he has been cleansed unless he has been made clean and those that were going to minister to god had to be 
called to come before him and had to come to him in a very careful manner. Here it says they had bells on their robes that they, lest they die. And of course, we know that the only way that the other priests would know if the high priest was still alive was to hear him walking around and hear the bells. They always tied a rope to his ankle because if he went in unclean and he was in there a while and the bells stopped ringing, they would know that he was dead. Obviously, probably it happened before. I don't know. We don't never told, but we do know they put a rope around what we understand from Jewish tradition. They did that. So they would, nobody could go in after him or they'd die. So they would have to pull him out. This is the kind of holiness that, that uh, we're dealing with. And yet we get to come before him every single day and come into his holiness because of what he's done inside. So it gives us great joy and great understanding to understand the privilege we have. Well, now we're going to move over to Charles Spurgeon. January 15th, ever mindful. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. Psalm 115.12. I can set my seal to that first sentence. Cannot you? Yes, Jehovah has thought of us, provided for us, comforted us, delivered us, and guided us. In all the moments of his providence, he has been mindful of us, never overlooking our mean affairs. His mind has been full of us. This is the other form of the word mindful. This has been the case all along and without a single break. At special times, however, we have more distinctly seen this mindfulness and we would recall them at this hour with overflowing gratitude. Yes, yes, the Lord hath been mindful of us. The next sentence is a logical inference from the former one. Since God is unchangeable, he will continue to be mindful of us in the future as he has been in the past. His mindfulness is tantamount to blessing us. But we have here not only the conclusion of reason but the declaration of inspiration. We have it on the Holy Ghost's authority. He will bless us. This means great things and unsearchable. The very indistinctness of the promise indicates its infinite reach. He will bless us after his own divine manner, and that forever and ever, therefore, let us each say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, Father, that's all we can say with such a glorious thought like that. We bless you. We thank you for your glorious power, that you're mindful of us, that you never, ever take your eyes off of us. You never slumber. You never sleep. And it's so helpful to know that when we're dealing with some difficult circumstances. We think of Karen right now in the hospital going through what she's going through. Father, I doubt I would have the strength she has. We ask God that you would give her peace and give her strength and that she would be in the skillful hands of the surgeon as she is in your skillful hand who cares for her and whose mind is upon her, that you think about her. 
and you care for her, as well as all those going through their cancer treatments, all those having to go through replacement surgery or corrective surgery or dealing with getting over COVID and trying to get their bodies back to full strength, we thank you that you are there. And God, we place our trust in you. And we don't want to let the enemy get his foot in the door and cause confusion about what's going on. We live in a fallen world, and so our bodies do break down. Paul never let that distract him from his love for you. He understood that there was things that he could not change about his body. The conditions that he was dealing with were often the beatings that were unjust. And yet, they became his badge of honor in a sense. He understood that you were glorified through that which he had to suffer in his body. So we pray the same. We pray you give us strength. And now, God, we have some other looming serious things going on in the world as Russia seems to be on the brink of invading Ukraine. Although there was at least a mention that some of the troops were returning, that maybe some of the diplomatic uh, efforts worked. And so if that happens, God, that's a major answer to prayer. We would love to see this whole thing de-escalate. But China is the big looming problem, God. They could march into Taiwan tomorrow. And we think this is what they're, they're <laughs> wanting to use Russia as a distraction so that they can go in. And we know when that happens, God, innocent children and women are going to be slaughtered. It's not just about taking over the political office. It's about taking lives and, and, and uh, crushing Christians, opposition, anybody that gets in their way. So, Father, we're the helpless. We pray. You've told us, God, to, to pray for the widow and the orphan, and we can only imagine what they will be going through. So we pray for them and ask that you would be protecting them. And we pray for sanity in the governments that are dealing with these negotiations and that you would... Um, There is a time for strength, God. So whatever your plan is, we pray you would use the coalitions of nations, China, which is this cruel dictatorship, God, which crushes lives and harvests organs of their people in prison, just horrendous things going on now. Father, it seems somewhat of an injustice to have the Olympics there, but Father, all we can pray is that you get glory somehow. And may there... The cause of the of the um, helpless and the Christians there be come into the world stage. And Father, we continue to pray for the safety of all those in Canada that are in this freedom protest. That you would continue to use them in a very very peaceful way, that they could be heard and that their voices would be uh, brought into the Prime Minister and they would be able to have negotiations, Father. We pray that in all of this, you would use your body of Christ to have a voice, not only of reason, God, but also to be ministering in these uncertain times with all the opportunity they have to talk to the truckers and be around them. Use the people in the Calvaries up there to be handing out coffee and and uh, encouraging them and sharing the gospel to, to have all of these freedom seekers find their real freedom and be set free from from the real bondage. So, God, we lift that up to you and, and put them in your hand, this whole situation going on there. And, uh, and, God, we want to thank you for all that you're going to do today through the mission 
and uh, you're going to continue to use us here. And those going to work this morning, those that are going to be working around the home, God, just give us a, a day where we can keep our minds focused and set upon you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We bless you, God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So bless you uh, richly and keep your minds focused and looking up and keep checking the news because there's some big stuff happening. So, so we need to be praying for some of these things going on in a big way. God bless. Bye-bye.